Let's be honest. How many times have you chalked up a relationship ending to bad timing? For hosts Nancy and PJ Heslin, the answer is a lot. It took living separately in Canada, the U.S., and France, two divorces, and 20 years for timing to work out. And when it finally did in the south of France, the couple discovered they had two different versions of their love story. We all do, right? But what if your side is not the whole story and you have the journals to prove it? Keep listening to Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together, a podcast on love, relationships, and two lives in between. This episode is sponsored by relationship coach Jordan Gray. I came across Jordan Gray's work when I Googled bullying, and I was immediately hooked. Like me as a kid, Jordan Gray was also picked on, which is why his articles are also relatable. His sincere approach to men about relationships offers something for everyone, whether you're looking for love or trying to improve communication with your current partner. When you go to jordangrayconsulting.com, you can not only get access to his abundance of articles and free resources, you can also sign up for his email list and receive regular relationship tips. Welcome to Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together. I am Nancy Heslin. And I'm PJ Heslin. I don't know why I said it like that. It was very exciting. I was You're happy. Up, I was going to put up little pictures of dinosaurs, PJ, for you, just to see if that would evoke uh, any tears from carried over from last episode. No. But you I seem have, quite strong in good shape today. Yes, I've made a point of uh, not watching shows where little baby dinosaurs get eaten by big dinosaurs. So you're ready to tackle whatever, what's our episode theme? Are you a good self-promoter? Are you ready to talk about that? Obviously not. I'm not a good self-promoter. Oh, I thought you meant you're not going to talk about the subject. No, but I do have some big news. Uh-oh. Pod fashion, pod fashion time. Wait, 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 wait. I have okay. something for you this time. All okay. Right. So you see the blue button there? Just Yes. So anytime in the future, because everybody seems to really enjoy your pod fashions, right. anytime in the future that you're going to interrupt me and jump in with the pod fashion, press that blue button. All right, here we go. I have a pod fashion. <laughs> pod fashion. <laughs> that music just sounds like you walking slowly with the dog. That is awesome. That is truly the uh, the soundtrack that's going in me and uh, Christie's head yeah, when we're walking. The two of you. But I did beep, create beep, a beep, beep. I did create a more Tom Cruise like one if you feel like there's something more dynamic that you need to share. Pod fashion. I love that one. There you go. That's a very 1970s cop show feel to it. Heslin, he's on the scene and solving crimes. Heslin, Friday's at nine. (laughs) Who's going to watch that? (laughs) Eight Mountain Central time. The good part about that role for you would be probably it's a cop that's eating a lot. You'd be the guy that's like, who was that in one of the Ocean 11 movies or whatever that series was? Was it Brad Pitt that was always eating? You'd be good like that as a cop. Was it Brad Pitt who was always eating? I think it was. Anyway, what's the big what's the big news that you have to tell oh, me? Oh, I almost forgot about my big news with all these soundtracks. Uh, I've made a new best friend in the neighborhood. Huh? Yep, I got a new best friend. He's what my neighborhood? Buddy. We don't have neighbors. Well, I've got a new best friend. He's my uh, buddy. We're both we? each other's buddies. Uh, so, yeah. You know how when you're a kid, you make friends, your new kid moves into the neighborhood, you see him running around a couple of times. Go on over and, hey, you want to ride bikes? You go ride bikes, and then you go play in the abandoned construction site, and then you're friends for life. So now, when you're older, my generation, my age, you got to see the guy around in the neighborhood about six months. But most importantly, you might say hello. You do not talk to one another. You just get a good vibe of like, hey, that guy has a good, solid morning smile. I like it. He's a good, good person. So cut to 
It's been about a year. I've seen him running. He's seen me running in the this neighborhood. This is a year going on? It's been at least a year, yeah. I've seen him kiss his you dog. You have never mentioned this in <laughs> I know. That's, okay, okay. That's because we weren't friends sorry, until sorry, now. It takes a you. while. You got to build a foundation. So he, I, I've seen him kiss his dog on the head when he didn't think anybody was looking. He's seen me kiss my dog on the head when he didn't think anybody was looking. And now we're best of buddies. But most importantly, we do not talk. Unless the zombie apocalypse happens, then we knock on each other's door and we're like, hey, best friend, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's start a new society, one based on justice. In your head, when we have the zombie apocalypse, yes. oh, what, what it'll role, happen. What role is he going to play in your society? We're going to so be just best so I, buddies. Just so I can have a visualization. We, we what, got is each he other's like a, back. I know, but that's all like, we have to do. We got each other's back. So we fight the zombie hordes, and anybody who's trying to be like an evil warlord, we take care of business. We take care of them. But is he tough? Is he, what is he? Of course he is. He's my new best friend. He's a tough guy. He can take it. And he knows how to deal justice. This will be our theme song. Yeah. Taking care of zombies. One skull at a time. Oh, me and my new best friend. In your mind, do you have like a, a world where there's zombies and Bigfoot? Could that, could those two things come together? Wow. You've really... That's re- that's a great question. Are you would kidding the, me? In twenty years of being a professional be... interviewer, that's a good question. Holy mackerel! I've never I've kept those two universes separate. Wow, I got some thinking to do now after this episode. But I mean, would you save Bigfoot if the zombies and risk your life if the I'd zombies like, went after Bigfoot? I'd like to think in this scenario, in this cross universe scenario of mine, yes, that Bigfoot and I have formed an alliance and we work together to defeat the zombies as well as evil human warlords that are going to pop up in a post-apocalyptic world. PJ, Sophie's choice question here. If you have Bigfoot on your right and your new best friend on your left and you can only take one, who are you taking with you? Oh, don't make me choose. Please don't make me choose. (laughs) I think it's got to be Bigfoot. I've known Bigfoot longer. What is your obsession with Bigfoot? (laughs) I think it's because anybody who's probably our age would remember those In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy from the 70s. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if you don't know what it is, yeah, I don't sure know what s- it is. I'm sure you can see clips of it on YouTube, but as a, as a small kid watching those, oh my God, just especially the Bigfoot episode. And anytime Leonard Nimoy spoke about, uh, UFOs, I fully believed all of it. Totally thought there's one day I'm going to be in the woods and I will see a Bigfoot. What are you talking about? These were like specials on TV or this was like, no, it was a regular was series. It was a regular series called, called in search of, in search of. Yeah. And Leonard Nimoy was the host and uh, Leonard I can't, Nimoy from Star Trek. Yeah. And as you know, we, I, I can't do impressions, so I can't do my Leonard Please Nimoy, <laughs> Please Nimoy don't. impression, but you know, yeah, he'd start, he'd say, Hey, for centuries, men have wandered the skies and looked up and said, that's a UFO. And now here's a clip of uh, something that looks like a UFO. That's the way the show go. You know, I can remember coming over to your place in, in the 90s and you would be watching Star Trek and whatever the various spinoffs of Star Trek were. And I used to shake my head thinking, how can I love this guy? How dare you? How dare you denigrate my love of sci-fi I, yeah, and I just, zombies? I can't, I can't get into it. That's why watching the David Beckham show on Netflix was exciting for me because I don't really like a lot of things. And you and I actually liked something together exactly. that we could watch. Finally brought us together. Finally, I think it. we've televised moment. I think I know where our relationship's going now. I think we're, we're going to work through all our issues, PJ. That was a really fun series to watch visually. Who doesn't want to watch Beckham on TV? But also I found there was a lot of similarities. Beckham cried. 
Beckham cried, and I thought you guys have some something in common. Yeah, I, I didn't tear up when Beckham teared up, but uh, it's good to know David and I are both guys that can potentially tear up. Well, yeah, you cry over what images? CGI computer-generated images of baby dinosaurs getting eaten. That you have a relationship with for 30 seconds, but he does cry after his 20-year career comes to an end with Paris Saint-Germain in May 2013. But I did, uh, I thought it was, yeah, you guys, uh, you know, you're both good-looking guys. You're getting better looking as you get older, if that's possible for you. He is much better looking than me. He is quite I'm not afraid to say that. He is much better looking. I'm not afraid to say that. I was also intrigued. I, uh, as you know, I don't really know anything about him. I just knew him kind of as this, uh, he's a good looking guy who makes millions of dollars. He played football. Who cares? And then I read a little blurb in the BBC saying this thing's great. And then you told me, hey, I watched the first episode. It's amazing. You got to watch it. And when you tell me something, what happens? I do it. So I committed (laughs) myself. I hope everybody's having a laugh over that. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the hundreds of things that you asked me to do that are just would be nice conveniences for you that I'm like, in one ear, out the yeah, other. Yeah, that's why I would say, PJ, what did I just say? <laughs> and you'll get like one of the prepositions right in that sense. Oh, anyway. Uh, yeah, so I started watching it and I was right off the bat intrigued. He's very charismatic, very talented. And what what, what really enthralled me was how passionate he was and is about football. I mean, he was just, he was one of those guys, young age, this is what I'm good at. I'm investing in it. And boom, I will be the most successful person at it. And he did it. And that's, I, it was really inspiring, I guess. Well, it doesn't also, help that he's spectacular to look at. Yeah. I mean, he's easy on the eyes. I don't mind it. <laughs> the thing that shocked me though, I really had no idea about that 1998 World Cup game with uh, Argentine. Oh my God. Because I had moved to France when the Zidane headbutt stuff started. But before that, I had had no interest in football. I could not believe how he was treated. I mean, it's a sport for one thing. And he was, what, 23 years old? Same here. I could not believe how he was pilloried in Britain for two years. I mean, you compare that to any North American athlete. Look at Lance Armstrong. He cheated and admitted to it cheating on the tour of de france seven times and now people are kind of like yeah he's fine he's all right i mean he's from texas how bad can he be but that i just could not believe the amount of literal abuse that that guy went through back then it reminded me of when i first met the marathoner paula radcliffe do you remember paula of well course. you know paula right? I mean, she's no my paula. friend now yeah But when I first met her in 2014, I was doing an interview and I didn't know about her history with the UK press, the same kind of press that went after Beckham and lots of other people. So Paula had done the 2008 Athens Olympics and she had to stop at the 36 kilometer mark and she had a DNF. She had been really sick when she got to Athens. I can't remember if it was also related to the heat, but the British press called her a quitter They called her a choker. They called her a money-loving drama queen. Like, this is a woman that was three-time winner of the New York Marathon, three-time winner of the London Marathon. She set the world's record for the fastest woman back in 2003. And that record lasted, what, 16 16 years? And the press treated her so horrifically that she left the country. And she said at the time when I first met her, she said, I felt so ill at ease in the UK as if I'd let a lot of people down and I just wasn't settled. So she moved. Can you imagine feeling that way? Like you've represented your country four times in the Olympics? It makes me glad that I've been uh, unsuccessful in the three countries that I've lived in. Canada, America, and France, I'm always welcome back, no matter what happens. Open arms. No problem, Cecilyn. 
Yes, but uh, the Beckham documentary, I still have to say, Schwarzenegger's my man. Are we going back to Arnold? That was a going few back episodes to Arnold, ago. It was okay. a few episodes. I just listened to the Mark Maron podcast and Schwarzenegger was on it. And oh my God, that guy is so charming and so funny and so self-aware and ready to make jokes about himself. Uh, it, it was It was an hour of pure joy listening to that guy. And he's talking about his dogs. It was so adorable. Oh, Dutchie and Schnitzel. I loved them so much. Dutchie and Schnitzel. I just, he's got my new favorite phrase. And I've heard this phrase before. It's a common phrase. But now that uh, I've heard Arnold say it, uh, he's talking about uh, mistakes he's made in his life. We all know he's made some mistakes. He admits to it. He says, yes, this cost me my marriage. And then he says, but you can't put the paste back into the tube. <laughs> he doesn't say that. <laughs> yes, he does. I've never heard that before. You can't put the paste back into the tube. Oh, my God. I literally almost fell off my bike. All right, PJ, here's another Sophie's Choice. You have Arnold on one side, Beckham on the other. You can only take one with you. Oh, don't make me choose. Oh, they're both so charming. Both so funny. Oh, I love them both so much. I got to go with Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Why? I was living in LA when he and uh, Posh had moved there. Were you and, really? Yeah. And uh, I actually saw them one one time. I saw them uh, one time at a uh, restaurant. And it was Were you just, the waiter? No, no. Oh, you'd passed that part I of your was, career? Yes. Uh, I was on to my fifth career at this point. No, it was funny because you always see famous people in LA. And it was one of those things where I saw him and Posh and he was with his kids. And you say to your friend, like, oh, hey, look, it's David Beckham. And it were, it actually was. And I, a friend of mine, they did a reality show in L.A. when they were living in L.A. And it was supposed to be this. The Beckhams? Uh, yeah. When was, when was that? This, oh, God. So this would have been. They didn't talk about that in the show. In the 90s? It, it, so it was ended up only being an hour and a half show. And I had a friend who worked on that show. And she told me that the uh, the original idea was they were going to have like a you know, six weeks of the Beckham's reality show, kind of like the, um, what's his name? The rock star guy, uh, Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne. The Ozzy Osbourne show was a big hit. This was following on the heels of that. It was supposed to be like that. And she had told me that uh, <laughs> they were so boring that they could, only, after six weeks of filming, they could only cut together an hour and a half footage for one hour and a half special so what? I, say, that yeah. again. <laughs> say that again. They shot for weeks and they were going to make this week long series. And apparently they were both kind of so boring that they could only come up with an hour and a half. One, one special. That's it. All done. No series. I find that shocking because he came across quite charming on the I show. Total, I refuse to believe it. I think that's uh, maybe sour grapes on that uh, person's part because he was very charming, very interesting. I could watch more of that. Just him just talking about football. It doesn't even really matter yeah. in that show if he's talking. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to watch it again, even on mute. Just, just to look at him. If you look at it, that would have been back in early 2000s, I'd say that was. So yes. he's, you know, 20 years on, he has built a brand, which is much more interesting. You know, he has his bees and all the businesses that he's doing. So there is more than just he and his wife. <laughs> the bees. I forgot about the bees. I love the bees. I love the fact that it started off with him getting honey from his beehive, but he's got a monogrammed beekeeper suit on with DB on it. Yeah, but that's what makes him the world's <laughs> ultimate self-promoter. Oh, like, are you a good self-promoter? No, the guy I, has built a brand of $450 million. I do not have anything with 
my initials on it, nor do I promote myself in such a the way. The closest we got was I bought you matching pajamas with the dog. I thought that was like yes. the closest thing of like something personalized. But the theme is, are you a good self-promoter, right? And for me, it I always looked at self-promotion as business cards. Like I'm from that generation that that's how you showed who you are. That's how you identified yourself. And you kind of worked hard just to get the card. It was more exciting than than the job itself, right? I actually just found all my business cards from university to now, which PJ, if I ask you that question, where are you hiding your business cards? I I only had b- one set of business cards. Your whole life? My the last yeah. tech job I had, uh, <laughs> the day that I'm told them that I was quitting, they gave me my only business cards that I've ever had. And it was about a shoebox size. It had to be at least 1000 business cards in there. And they were all going to be redundant <laughs> within a month. Yeah, but you were the director of IT. How, how come you didn't, in America, how come you didn't have a card? Like Americans love I've, their business cards. I've never had a business card. Okay. I'm holding in my hand a business card from a part-time job doing telemarketing in university. And it's got the name of the duct cleaning company. And it says, representative. Now, how come I have this card, PJ, and as a director of a department, you did not have a card? Who cares about that? How does one represent a duct? I was good at that job because it was a voice job. So people thought I was a man. That was my first. How could they think you're a man? Everybody thinks I'm a man. No, not on the phone. Yes. That's ridiculous. Ask anyone in my family. Anytime I answered the phone, people would always call me Mr. Even as a young kid. Well, those people are fools. I know it's because you love me and you see me with non-duct eyes, but people really believed that I was very manly. Anyway, I did very well at that job, but I found all of these business cards and it kind of reminded me of how important that was. And I think I'm really out of touch because I'm not very good at social media and promoting myself. And so I kind of looked it up because I thought, well, how, where does all this stuff sit now? Because I just did that program with the the millennials, with the Prince Albert Foundation, and the way they wanted to exchange with me was, what's your Instagram? I was like, "Uh, I don't know. So I looked it up to see, like, is it just my generation that still has titles and business cards? Like, how do we identify ourselves? This is amazing. BBC says that there was an estimated 27 million business cards printed per day before COVID. That's 7 billion cards a year. Is that worldwide or just Britain? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sales dropped 70%, obviously, during the pandemic, but have mostly recovered, especially in North America. You know, it's one thing to have social media as your sort of digital networking and, you know, as your business card, but you still have to be effective and an active self-promoter, right? So if you look back at your stand-up back in the 90s, would you say, like, you were a good self-promoter? Because I just read, PJ, I Googled your name, and this thing came up... um, from a book called The Kids in the Hall, One Dumb Guy by Dave Myers, I think it is. Was I the, was I the dumb guy they were oh, talking about? Oh, yeah, sorry. About? I mean, it wasn't PJ Hessler, <laughs> One Dumb Guy. The um, reference to you, it references a period of 1988 to 1995, and it calls you one of the stand-ups of your generation. Oh, how nice. It's talking about The Kids in the Hall, and it says, week after week, the kids would create an entirely new set of material for a live audience of 200 comedy fans. This is in Toronto. To keep the audience fresh during the taping sessions, which could sometimes stretch into three-hour affairs, the kids called upon their friends to do the warm-up. 
Luckily, their friends happen to be some of the best Toronto stand-up comics of their generation. Eric Tunney, Boyd Banks, PJ Heslin, Elvira Kurt, Sheila Gostick, uh, Alan George, Brian Hart, and Brett Butt. What do you think about that, PJ? Oh you, are, you are one of the stand-ups of your generation. Uh, just those names brought back some really great memories. Those, are, those were all very, 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 very funny people. I feel honored that I was put in a sentence with them because they are wonderful, funny, funny people. Well, especially the books written by Mike Myers' brother. Yes. Yeah. You were obviously a success, and you must have been doing some type of self-promotion because that was without the digital ways that we have today to get your name out there like YouTube. So would you have done a better job now? Do you think? No, uh, for two reasons. Number one, to be a self promoter when back then doing stand up, that was kind of seen as an uncool thing, you know, like it was just kind of, you just, those people that would put together press kits and would try to get meetings. And it's always seemed like they're just trying too hard and it was not cool. The other thing is I, you might agree with me. Don't you think as a Canadian, it's a very Canadian thing to be kind of humble and to not be too loud about yourself and say, yeah, I'm the greatest. It's very much like just, just. Well, I think you're confusing it here. I think what you're saying is that you did believe you were the greatest, but you weren't about promoting that side of yourself. You just nailed it. <laughs> yes, because, I did think, right? I think. I am so funny. I'm so awesome. You're so good looking. I, I think that also went through your head. I don't need to. Hey, the world's going to come to me. Well, I remember reading even in the manuscript, which made me laugh out loud, but you thought you were going to get an Oscar within the first year that you decided <laughs> to be an actor, right? I mean, you really didn't lack that kind of confidence, but I do agree. As Canadians, yesterday's a perfect example. I had to ask somebody for a favor and I was so uncomfortable, but I need to get something accomplished quite quickly. I'm launching a new project. I have a very short timeline. And as I think it's just my Canadian nature. I can't stand asking people for help. Uh, or assistance, or saying like I really need this, even though I'm happy to help others. So yeah, maybe maybe it's maybe it's about that. I totally agree. I think to be a good self promoter as well. That's you just nailed it as well. You nailed two things, Nancy. You're doing a great job. I'd rather you just say you're right. You're right. Oh, You're thanks, doing Peach. a great job, thanks, Peach. Yeah, to be a self promoter, you have to ask people for favors and do, and we are just two people that would just we it it kills us to ask people for favors. I've had flats on my bike. And I know that there are friends that have cars and I'm like, no, I just don't want to bug them. That's not, I'll just walk 30 miles. But professionally speaking, let's really look at that. In the 1990s, I know that you worked really hard in stand-up. I mean, you had your sets at the Laugh Comedy Resort. Is that what it's called? The Laugh Resort. Resort. Laugh Resort. Resort. And the same thing. I know you had like your sets and you did a lot of writing and, you know, you did the Fringe Festival. You were doing the stuff with the opening for Kids at the Hall. Kids on the- Kids at the Hall? Kids at the Hall. That was the- Lesser was known. The B not as, not B as side of, Yeah. Uh, at CBC Studios. You know, you did do a lot of things. You were in movies. Did you just think the world's going to come to me? I think part of it was, yes, the world's going to come to me if I just keep doing all these different things and branching out. But the self-marketing thing- wasn't that the job of your agent? Yes. The agent manager, I would see it as that was their job. But I think you also need to be proactive, as I used to say and still say. And it just had to be an intrinsic part of your nature to be a good self-promoter, good self-marketer, put yourself out there, as they say. And I'm not, uh, I'm not that person. Well, in the story where we are now, 1995, I think it's November, 
this is the first time I really make an effort to be a self-promoter. I've only been at that CD manufacturing job for, I think, three months. And I go and ask my boss to create a new department for me to go out and check out new bands and pay for it. PJ is going to read to you uh, how I go after this new thing I want in my career. And at this point in the story, we've known each other just over five and a half years. And I'm 25 and you're 30. Oh, boy. Uh, so yeah, it's November 3rd, 1995. It's November, so ooh, the first snowfalls come. It's ooh, There's a chilly breeze coming off of Lake Ontario. Nancy writes, I had my first breakfast meeting with CD manufacturing boss this morning. He said to me right off the bat that someone asks to speak to their boss for one of three different reasons. One, to ask for a raise. Two, to quit. Or three, to complain about a coworker. Why would you need a meeting for your boss to do that? You could just do that all the time. Hey, isn't uh, so-and-so a jerk? Uh, anyway, Nancy writes, I was sitting there thinking none of these are applicable. I'm just starting to know the reality in order for me to fill this PR idea. I have to keep in touch with everything happening in the papers, not so much from our clients, but for all potential of all musicians. It's true, though. Like, you get a really good idea. Remember last time we were talking about jumping into things too quickly? I had this amazing idea. Hey, let's create this A&R department in our company, and it will be great. You pay for me to go out and watch bands every night, and I'll just go out and drink every night. Reading your optimism just makes me tired. <laughs> and then Nancy writes, it's one thing to basically say, hey, pay my bills for me to go out, but it's another for me to maximize that into a business. I'm so afraid of losing myself. <laughs> and what? <laughs> Your job? I guess once you've uh, represented ducks, it's all downhill from oh, there. Oh, stop with uh, that. You're just jealous of my business card collection. <laughs> I see so many people in this industry that are fake and that I fear that's what I'll become. When my boss says that this is what I'm born to do, I have no idea if he really knows me at all. That's fine because my life is private. I believe who I am is pretty much it. PJ was here last night. That's all I can think about. Of course you can. He felt so close to myself that I can't stop thinking about it. I thought I had surpassed all of that crap, but now I can't see him because it's too intense for an actual relationship. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with both of us? We clearly like each other. There's a lot there. It's like, nope, can't do it. But the thing is, is that we're bad self-promoters. We're bad, like in a relationship together. Is there a link there? Definitely. The question really is, PJ, do you think that there is potential for us, the Heslins, to become the next Beckhams? Definitely. Okay, what's our business card going to say? I don't know, but I have a theme song. It's the Heslins. Heslin. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together and share the link with friends. This podcast is a spinoff of our manuscript. Check out nancyandpj.com to learn more. A big thanks to Dustin, Alyssa, and Isaac at Lifestuff Media. In our next episode, Nancy enters the new A&R phase of her job just as PJ starts pushing to spend a little bit more one-on-one time.